Welcome to the Nails and Hammers podcast. I am your host Kushal Shah. This podcast teaches new perspectives by walking through journeys and decision-making processes of different individuals. Our guest today is Andrew Yates, who is the CEO and co-founder of Promoted AI, a startup that produces better search results and feed ranking for marketplaces, hence matching buyers and sellers more efficiently. Andrew, uh, welcome to the Nails and Hammers podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so let's now start from the very beginning and uh, talk about your journey a bit. So can you share a bit about where did you grow up and what did you study? Where I grew up and what I study? Oh, wow, that's further back than I had expected. Oh, well, I, I'm from uh, Northwest Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, Toledo area, Waterville. Mm-hmm. You haven't heard of Waterville before, have you? I haven't. I have heard of Toledo though. Well, it's Toledo, Spain or, or Toledo, Ohio. Ohio. Actually. Okay. <laughs> Um, anyways, I studied computer science mm-hmm. at Ohio State University. I was doing a, a master's in computer science and a PhD in biomedicine, in fact. And I met my wife in graduate school, also doing computer science. And she won a hackathon and got a job at Pinterest mm-hmm. as a reward for winning the hackathon and moved out to San Francisco. And mm-hmm. well, I'll, I'll tell you the, the life of working at a hot startup in Silicon Valley versus being a biomedicine PhD student. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved to San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Not to mention my wife lived there and, and yeah, we, we live together now. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And so how did this whole journey into ad tech start? Was Pinterest an influence? It, it was, yes. Um, well, leaving the, the program and coming out to San Francisco, I made a decision that, well, if I'm, if I'm not going to be curing cancer or designing next generation of cells or of some sort, then how about I learn how industry works mm-hmm. and be really good at that? Yep. And I looked around and there was Google and there was Facebook and the business of the Valley was ads, was was paid media, performance marketing media. And so I decided at that time that I would learn how this works. And one day I would start a company to do this myself. Makes sense. And here we are. And, and here we are. Yeah. The, the, the next part of the story is the first thing I did was I, I was really interested in startups. I, I wanted to do startups. I did, did some entrepreneurial ex- experimentation and, and thought that, well, just trying it yourself wasn't the best way, but you should work with someone and see how that goes first. Mm-hmm. So I, I joined a startup called Red Hot Labs. Gr- great, 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 great people, great company, uh, troublesome market in that they were trying to optimize on top of Facebook ads and Facebook was printing money. So I, I really quickly learned that, look, if you want to learn how if you want to learn how Facebook makes their money, go work at Facebook. So I did. And so what all did you learn there? I worked in the the ad tech mines or the ad score mines. It's uh, the, the click prediction models, conversion prediction models, the ML infrastructure pieces, mm-hmm. training models, getting features in place. That's what I got started with. And it gave me a really strong appreciation for obsession with quantifying value and just iterating. 1%, It wasn't very fun, but I learned a lot. And I definitely had that drilled into my mind as a discipline 
Then mm-hmm. um, after doing that for a while, I led a research team on conversion incrementality modeling in the marketing science department and, and worked on some different ways of, well, how can we make these predictions even better by including different types of information, building products around ingesting data and, and filed a bunch of patents. And, and that was fun. Uh, after that, I wanted to get back more into engineering and, and apply what I had learned in my my understanding of how this whole system works. And uh, I went to Pinterest and, and eventually was leading the marketplace engineering team um, until I started promoted. And so, I mean, you had a, de- a decent career at Facebook, at Pinterest, and being in big tech, it's quite comfortable. And so what made you decide to take a plunge and start promoted? I wanted to build more. Mm-hmm. I wanted more. It's comfortable if you like operating what the business needs you to do. And that that's the role of engineering, generally, especially big tech. Mm-hmm. You're not innovating so much as you are applying what's reasonably likely to increase the product as it already exists. I wanted to do more than that. That's part of it. The second part of it was I always had the vision of owning this for myself and um, a fraction of the ambition part, which was I wanted to run my own company. And a trigger for me at Pinterest was it was um, head of uh, BD there. And she takes me out to lunch and she she says, hey, Pinterest wants to acquire some companies. Do you know anybody? And there are no good startups in ad tech anymore. And it just kind of blew my mind because it it had been several years, right? So I had been in Facebook and Pinterest. And before I did this journey, it was kind of like if you wanted to just do a startup, but you didn't have a clear idea, you could just do something in ads and somehow that would work out. And that was definitely no longer the case. And, And also the startup I worked in, for ads, uh, at the beginning of my, my conversation here, they, they got acquired by, by Google as well, right? So like, <laughs> yes, all the, all the good ones had been acquired by Google and Facebook and there really wasn't any competition. And, and at the same time, so now I was responsible for hiring and it was really, really hard to hire talented, experienced engineers in discovery, engineering, um, ad tech, especially across all disciplines, mobile, data side, ML side. And where were these engineers being hired? They were being hired not just by Facebook and Google, although Amazon, of course, they were also hiring, but um, like DoorDash or, or Instacart. And, and it was, oh, actually these, these market, like this, this app revolution of everything going onto your app. And, and this was pre-COVID, even before all of this, it's like, look, their next stage here is they need to build out what we had built out at uh, at Pinterest and, and then before that at Facebook. And it's really, really hard. And it's, they're just paying outrageous sums for engineers. Plus they have to build the thing. Would they buy it instead? Mm-hmm. And not only would they buy it, but we also had, and by we, I mean, me and Dan Hill, who I'll talk about here in a moment. Um, it's, it's not so easy to build and it's not as obvious like some consumer products where you can a b iterate your way to success or or eventually once you have the system set up in a great way you can just do that one percent one percent one percent improvements on, on improving the underlying model but you first have to build the marketplace design and have all of infrastructure in place and getting over that hump is very challenging for organizations because early on you don't need it 
it's easy to do something simple, but then you reach this wall of performance and it's difficult to make the investments to make that work. And, and just hiring people, sure, you can hire people, but they also have to work together and build the thing. And, yeah. and how long does that take? And will they actually build you a system that works for you? So mm -hmm. the, there was a market opportunity and then the talents and interest. And, and we had some early insights into where the market was going mm -hmm. because of our experience, not just working at these companies, but competing against other companies that were hiring in this space before people were re really realizing that, oh, actually this is where mm -hmm. people will be most interested and most valuable like three years later. And then, and then COVID took off and it just got super accelerated. Definitely. Uh, I mean, like it's, it's good to have like an insight or a broad understanding that, hey, I mean, uh, DoorDashish and Instacarts of tomorrow would want to have something like this, but did you have some other validation or did you have some you know, partner that you had in mind and that you wanted to build something for them? We actually had, a letter of intent from Turo really early on. Um, I don't want to go into too many details about exactly how early, but, but early. And that actually never fully materialized. And by fully, I mean, I still talk to Turo once a month, Andrew, he's great. Andrew, if you're hearing this, Hey, <laughs> how's it going? Um, but it, it was some, some early validation. And the other part was, um, Airbnb actually. So that also never actually happened. And, and there were some other details around um, other people I was working with at the time, but we knew they really, really, really wanted to build out not discovery and, and pay discovery and generally marketplace optimization. Um, we also recognized that there was a huge risk around build versus buy. And as, a, as an early stage startup, well, how, how do you cross that uncanny valley of why don't the company would very reasonably say, well, it looks like you're just looking for a design partner. Why don't you just apply on our website for our, you know, director of, of ads engineering or something like this. Mm -hmm. But th that's, that's a problem that can be surmounted with building the product and then showing that it works. So it's, it's good validation, although it wasn't a, a, an early boost, like it maybe could have been, although that was a long shot. Uh, also before Dan joined you, you more or less started solo. And then you had a chat with Dan and said that, hey, uh, why don't you join me? So what what conversation did you have and how did you convince Dan to work with you? Yeah, well, Dan and I, we worked together at Pinterest. And yeah, I, I, I was introduced to Dan through, he he made some comments on a, on a public product requirements document by the head of product, just, just generally questioning assumptions and stuff. And, and it was, it's actually a very Facebooky sort of thing, but not done at Pinterest. It's like, they always ask you for feedback and that means you don't get feedback. Um, just, just cheers. Um, and I was like, yes, I want to work with this guy. Cause they're, they're great questions. And, and, um, there was another thing where I had written this really long document about marketplace design and, you know, no one read it because it's long and it's complicated, but Dan read it. And, and he's just like, oh, did you mean plus one here? And, okay. and off by one error and like an algorithm, I had written some freeform text and he's just read through it all. And he's like, I'm like, wow, I'm just blown away. And then in addition to his, his background and experience and, and his performance at, at Pinterest, this is like, it was really good fit mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, I, I really want to work with Dan and have excuses to work with Dan more. And, and he ended up leaving Pinterest a little bit before I did. Okay. Um, and he was working on some startup ideas. And at the time I was still working at, at Pinterest. Um, as I was more convinced about this is the business I want to go build promoted. Um, I 
I went back to Dan and we had already been the past thought like, oh yeah, what kind of businesses we could do. But now I had a more solid idea and, and the plan was also a lot more credible in the sense of, well, let's, let's do what we know. And so it was a good pitch. And then, you know, brought him on as, um, in the, in the end, he, he came on as equal partner and it was just a really good match. And so what did the original product look like and how did it evolve? Hmm. Well, originally, originally we started as a company called algorithmic auctions. Mm-hmm. I was, I was really passionate about solving ad pricing fairly. And it was something that Facebook did really well, but pretty much no one else has done really well. It has to do with a bunch of complicated nerd stuff. And, and so to speak, it's like a, not, not such a strong market for it. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was edifying for me to go like, okay, I'm going to go write a VCG auction and some sort of quality controls and long-term optimizer. And, and I had fun writing it, but, um, that's not what the market was looking for. And we expanded this more, especially as, as Dan was, was more involved into just ads for marketplace in general, because like I said, our, our competition for hiring was say DoorDash at the time or, or Instacart, um, or they were, or, or coupon or, or grab actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Um, so would, would they, um, would, would people buy a, like a Amazon like promotion system, self-service ads. And that was kind of the Holy grail as far as technology goes. And it's also our vision of what we wished Pinterest could have bought when they had first started their ads business. Like, wouldn't it have been awesome. If Pinterest would have saved maybe a few years in their, their time cycle, their, their timeline of growing their business of if they had that sort of product on the market, which didn't ever exist. Um, so the market for that was also one, it was a bit too small, but also the customers who would buy it were also very large because the way media optimization works is at first you don't need it at all. Like you just have MongoDB and you're fine. Then it's like, okay, set up elastic and, and it's kind of important. And then you hire a couple of engineers, but you still aren't like selling placement. It's still a pretty simple product in terms of like a flat margin. But then you hit this inflection point where, oh my gosh, actually the paid media part or like the margin optimization becomes all of the profit and everything else is just kind of supporting it. And that's the end state where Amazon is. But for like, what would be our wedge here? we were still a small company. We're, we're just me and Dan, right? And it's <laughs> not, it, it, w- w- those companies were huge. And so, and there weren't as many of them. So we didn't find an entry there, but we discovered that we were really good at predicting what people were likely to buy. What if we just took off the ad auction and ran all of search? And and that kind of blew our mind. We, we thought that marketplace businesses or, or e-commerce businesses, given that the only interface you have with your customers is mobile device, just a screen, like a list of items. That's it. That's all you got. You, you don't have a store or whatever. You think, oh, they'd be really, really sophisticated at figuring out what's happening and tracking this and optimizing it and reporting it. And we had our biases from social media, which is this is their only business. And so that's the, they're very good at it. And they didn't have any of it. And we just had this quality control feature for the ads. Like it wasn't even the ad delivery mechanism. It was like the quality control for delivering ads to price for it. And that was just better than the state of the art in, in marketplace technology. And we were just like, look, everything in, and eventually became everything in a marketplace is, is an ad in the sense of it's 
performance media, it has an objective. You have two sides to it. You need to track it and measure it as incremental. We can take all of the technology from performance ad tech, which is just way, way, way more advanced than how marketplaces typically run themselves. And then we'll run the entire marketplace. I mean, so just to rephrase it, so you are treating every content on a marketplace as an ad and optimizing that because those systems and those processes are much more advanced than these recommendation things that are coming up. Yes. And, and we understand that this is not how we pitch it to customers because this, this is confusing. Yeah. Um, if you say the word ad, people like they, they stop thinking like, oh, ads. Though either if, they, if they're in the United States, they'll say, oh, we don't do ads. They'll just mm -hmm. lie straight to your face. Like <laughs> we do promotions or like some other language for it, but we, well, ads are bad. Um, other cases where people will think, oh, well, you know, just put a banner ad at the top or banner ads and that's bad. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're an engineer in the audience, think of it more as like, well, ad tech has to do a variety of more complicated things than just your ordinary search and discovery for search, especially for marketplace commercial search. You don't just have to show a good result from the user's perspective. You have to try to deliver everything from the seller's perspective. And it's not just what you show, but how much you want to show, you have to quantify it in dollars. And you also have to prove the value of this in dollars. And another way to think of this is maybe there are more people who have more experience on the media buying side. So like maybe you're running growth and you're buying ads on Facebook. That's really sophisticated stuff like incrementality measurement and lift studies and you have AB experiments and people get really, really serious on even in big corporations about um, buying performance advertisements and is it performing? And then of course, Facebook and Google and Amazon of the world are, are providing more and more tools to prove it out so they can get more and more of your budget. But then you look at what you're doing in house. It's like, you don't have any of that. Wait, like AB expert, no. You know, discovery, retrieval, no. Rotation, no. Long-term optimization, no. Lift, no, none of it. But it's still media that needs to perform to complete some sort of transaction. There's two sides to it. There's who's buying it and, and where it's from. You can be, you can be your own item. It can be first party, but you still have a concept of merchandising teams and optimizing for revenue. There exists a body of technology that's really, really good at this. They power trillion-dollar companies. It's called performance ad tech. We just, our insight was any sort of commercial media that's trying to achieve an objective can use this type of technology and be much more effective. And, and we were already experts in it. Uh, and at this stage, would you say that you have found a product market fit? I think we found product market fit for the wedge that we have, which mm -hmm. is um, we can take your search on any marketplace and increase the conversion rate by um, 7% or so. And so how are you convincing customers to share their data and use promoted APIs? I mean, how are you building that trust with marketplaces? Well, they aren't sharing their data. And that's that's the easiest answer. Like, we're just like AWS. I mean, are you literally running a server in your house with, with all of your data on it? Of course not. It's going to the cloud and cloud services. Mm -hmm. and, and we're the same way. And again, this is kind of like people getting their heads around what we're actually doing versus when they hear ads, they hear all sorts of things that we didn't say. It's your data. You, know, you have Elastic set up or Algolia or, or whatever, and you run on top of that. And then we have our metric service. You're sending it to Amplitude. You're sending it to the segment. We're the same way. Also, like, so if they, they, must, they must be using the promoted APIs and stuff. And also, if it's a platform, 
signals and objectives for a, a marketplace might not translate to signals and objectives for another marketplace or, or do they translate or how well, are they trying well that's part of our strategic objective is we're we're generally agnostic i mean not generally we are agnostic to whatever it is that you're selling because think about from social media ad tech um you can literally show anything to anybody at any time and it's always changing mm-hmm. now you can have some special cases where you learn a little bit about some area of content like there'll be a special team for maybe travel or a special team for i don't know product ads or whatever and you can like optimize it but the the gist of the overall piece of it is you have to be able to deliver something to somebody now at any time and it's based a lot on um real-time engagement and so that is just data in data out once we can measure what how people engage with an item you know did they dwell on it did they click on it did they read it did they come back to it that's creating a stream of signals that and then eventually did they check out and and purchase it Mm -hmm. that's creating a stream of signals that by itself is is very powerful and a good foundation and then you add on top of it you just keep adding to it so that's like the furnace of the, the data furnace, just like, yeah, keep throwing in features, you can put in domain specific pieces. And then another angle that we have here is we don't replace whatever in-house system you have. We either include it as just a way of, okay, we maximize your objective, uh, usually conversion or usually search to convert, or sometimes it's like um, purchase or order volume or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's just like, that's the label. So take whatever domain models you have, and we just include it in that. Plus, okay. We, we provide all of this, these tools around, you can specify your own rules, your own mixtures, um, your own definition of what quality means to you. And that allows your team to focus on the expertise, as if you're the marketplace, to focus on the expertise of what you're doing versus, well, reinventing Facebook newsfeed in terms of, well, how do I generally predict clicks and conversions and incrementality, which we just provide out of the box. And so what's a, a typical marketplace that you're trying to partner with? Is there like a typical size or an industry? We work best for series B type or maybe series A a little early type marketplaces that are, we love mobile and we tend to do a little bit better in the United States. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, although we can work internationally, but mm-hmm. series B plus two-sided marketplaces on mobile is our sweet spot. And I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit more. Um, why why mobile? Well, because mobile is newer and it's harder and we're good at it. Mm-hmm. So there's not much competition. Whereas like web, well, there's kind of already two decades of ideas of like tracking clicks and blah, blah, blah. But on mobile, there's just that just doesn't exist. So it's it's also where hot marketplaces are going. If you want to be a hot new startup that's going to be a unicorn probably you need a mobile app or only a mobile app you may not have any website in fact um so we like i mean that's another strategic reason why we like them but in terms of fit we're very good at mobile and also we have a smaller screen so discovery is more important because you just don't have as much space to move around you have you have like three things you can show instead of like 20. so it matters what those three things are more frequently um for two-sided this is again, part of playing to that today, we are a eight person startup. Um, we can't build everything for everybody. And there exist other solutions out there that do different pieces of the things that we do overall. 
Um, but we're very, very good at what we do and we can solve the problems of two-sided marketplace where like ephemeral inventory, like it's always coming and going mm -hmm. as two-sided. And then, um, same thing for unique inventory. Again, social media, uh, advert self-service performance ads mm -hmm. has to be anything, any, by anybody, anytime. So if you are selling, you know, collectibles or NFTs, or, you know, in case of hip camp, it's, uh, uh, land that you can camp on. Great. Again, no other competition, but we're pretty good at it. Uh, also, like big tech have a lot of uh, personalized recommenders. I mean, that they can provide as part of the SaaS solutions. So, would they come? Would they be in the competitive landscape, or would they not? Frankly, the only one I care about at all is AWS Personalized mm -hmm. because they're good. I mean, yeah. Elastic and AWS Personalized because our competition is not other vendors. It's just building it in house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so if you're going to build in house we need to outperform Elastic, just setting up a reasonable instance of Elastic and putting AWS Personalized on top of it. Mm -hmm. And that is our benchmark. And, and I'll tell you, one of the reasons that we, we outperform it, and this is a super secret, but um, our early models were we would run like three different versions of AWS Personalized, combine them together with some other features. Like we know we outperform it because we literally include it as part of the model and model on top of the differences. So mm -hmm. um, they're great services, but we kind of literally built our initial systems as incremental on top of them. So we know how far they get you. And when you're big enough, that extra 5% or 7% matters, matters a lot because it's straight to your margin. It, it, it might be a rookie question, but I mean, I'm sure AWS uh, personalized would have a lot of like research scientists and stuff working on a, a bunch of problems. I mean, maybe 500 people working on uh, uh, the wedge problem, but here you have eight engineers. So how does that, uh, I mean, what sort of, you know, what's your USP right now? Well, we're not building a better version of neural networks that we'll, we'll get there one day. Look, well, totally on a roadmap, but that's not the problems that even like, really late stage companies, like IPO stage companies. The problem isn't, oh, my neural network is not complicated enough. The problem is how do you connect all of the data together in an intelligible way? And then you can, once, once the day, day, like you need to attribute conversions and sales to actually seeing something in search and you need to have intermediate events, like almost like a multi-touch model if you do online marketing, but, but for yourself. Mm -hmm. And do that first. And no one, no, no, no one has that. Like even like logging impressions correctly. Like, did you actually see the item versus, you know, did you try to insert it? It's, it's not available. That's where we put a lot of our energy in is getting the data streams set up correctly. So that's real time and reactive. Mm -hmm. And then on the modeling side, we're always making it more and more complex. But frequently we see that you just don't have enough data to do something really super complicated. And then just like anybody else, we can go type into Google and say, you know, find for me neural network provider, off the source, open source, whatever. And that's, we include it, we just absorb it into what we're doing, including whatever things that like, you have a quality score from Elastic and we can take that in as a feature. We have a content management system as well. So um, one way we compete is we've been there, done that, the whole team. And we know what the system looks like. We know what good looks like. So if you are leading a large engineering team, you'll start to realize that it's not like coding horsepower that's your limiting factor in getting things done. It's like 
do people know what they want to build in mm -hmm. like an intuitive sense? And do they all know how it works, fits together? And is it like gelling or is everyone kind of just going off in their space? So that's how we're able to accomplish so much from, uh, from a small team. Mm -hmm. We built a team that way and built a company that way. And also we're focusing more on the, the bones of how these systems are built, which is the data infrastructure and the logging versus having a lot of like what the when I first started this talk instead of like, Hey, I've created a new auction design that is super efficient and blah, blah, blah. Well, how are you going to deploy it? How are you going to actually run this in, in my marketplace? Mm -hmm. That's what we focus on. I mean, a lot of this metrics like conversion rate are very short term, like, Hey, you, you had a session, you converted it or not, but are you also thinking of a long term metric, like a lifetime value and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And again, that's like the first thing we built, <laughs> but you know, you know, it's a good way for most where, where most people are right now until they start getting into things like margin optimization with optimizing for revenue and they have a paid promotion program or, or like a Groupon problem of like the other side of paid promotion is like discounts, but it's actually modeled pretty similarly. Um, one good way to make your marketplace grow faster is just find what people are looking for better. So solve that first. There's a lot of headroom there, right? If you've ever tried to buy or sell anything on a marketplace, uh, it's, it's tough. So there's, that was one thing that we learned also is things that are problems that let's say Pinterest or Facebook, yes, or Amazon, like, yes, you need that. And we have, the, I mean, we filed a couple of patents on it. Um, I guess put a bookmark in it, but we still see that first, most marketplaces, they need the, the fundamentals of how data is generated and what it means and getting into to delivery system for optimization and, and, and then off the metric side. Um, internally, like reporting, okay, is it working? How do I know it's working? How do I know it's still working? And then combining that with the long-term vision of, well, this is how it all fit together for long-term maximizers. So long story short, yes, it's on our website. Even we have a graph there and, and we have some of the technology associated with it, but we, um, also recognize that that's more of like a three-year plan we build towards it. But the first step is can people find what they're looking for first? Solve yep. that first. Fair enough. Uh, also switching gears a bit, I, I'm just curious to know more about the YC experience and then what made you apply to YC? What did you want to get out of it? YC, um, I've been a huge fan of YC for since forever. I've always wanted to do it. It's kind of ironic though, because uh, at the time it made the most sense for me. It wasn't cool or fun anymore. Like, I think it's still a lot of, I think it's a great experience, but it was pragmatic. Like, we needed YC because it accomplished business objectives for us. Namely, we're doing enterprise sales. Um, we needed some validation. Our biggest challenges as a company weren't technical. They were more like credibility and signaling, which I'm not sure if that's exactly what Y Combinator loves to be described as, but it's what we needed and what's, and it's what they provided versus I think in the past before, like, you know, I made my career, it was like this identity and it would be this, this life-changing event, you'd meet all these people and it'd be fun. No, man, it was sitting at this, the same desk talking to the same computer and it's it very pragmatic, but I didn't meet anybody in terms of like going out of the house because it was COVID. And I think that was another experience that colored, colored my experience of Y Combinator, which was, it was extremely efficient. In retrospect, it would have been nice if it were more fun, but would, you know, it's really fun having a successful startup that is making money and 
and getting to its next milestones. Um, and I guess I get other things from other places. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also speaking of the team a bit, uh, the team is quite experienced. So how are you managing you know, such veterans from the industry? Like everyone would have a strong opinion in a sense, uh, influencing them, working with them and getting things built. We give them equity and say, okay, the thing that you've always wanted to build better, but you couldn't or didn't have the time or whatever, like, or you didn't have it for yourself, go do it. And they do. I mean, that's one of the fantastic privileges of working with such a great team of we, we've all known each other or at least had some shared context at, at uh, either Facebook or Google. Um, so we can speak the same language. So a big fraction of it is individuals can say, even just like mention an internal system name and like the whole thinking about why it exists is just there. Mm -hmm. And that's really important when everyone's working remotely because you don't have to do as much of front loading new ideas and getting everyone aligned of this is what good looks like, or this is why you're doing it. Cause everyone kind of already knows. And also everyone has the confidence that, um, people aren't desperate. And I, I never liked this about startup culture and I don't think it's productive. I think it's more of like people survive despite it, not because of it. Um, everyone on the team has the confidence that they know how to build this and they can build this anywhere and they're choosing to be here. And that really reinforces the culture of the entire company, which is we're all in this together. And just wrapping up the conversation about promoted. So what's next for promoted now? Landing our next few biggest contracts. That's a big part of our strategy is we want to work with the best marketplaces and increasingly fantastic marketplaces. Uh, Snack Pass is awesome. Big growth. Hipcamp is awesome. They were a little bit bigger than Snack Pass, and then next biggest few marketplaces. Mm -hmm. The from the product side, it's um, right now we've been focused on the search optimization, the search optimization side. The value of our company is make money, not metrics, which sounds mm -hmm. kind of on the nose for a profit-based company, but. It's actually very important when you're really good at building data infrastructure and metrics, because you can just keep building reporting forever and just collecting data and putting it someplace. And you just do that forever, but being super focused on, did it drive the business objective? And mm -hmm. if it doesn't, don't do it because it didn't drive the business objective. And where our pricing reflects that or our company philosophy reflects this. Mm -hmm. But one piece of that also is show it. And our manager product is taking all of that data we're collecting and also the business impacts and then making it into a reporting tool. Basically Facebook ads manager or Google ads manager for that matter, since then built that team or Pinterest actually, um, and, and making it for marketplaces. They're just not ads. Like you can see your own metrics for your listing. You can do AB testing. Um, and then from also the marketplace operator as well, like you can see the entire picture, but things like, you know, if you run a marketplace, you get really tired of hearing things from um, your merchandising or your seller team. Like, why am I not first anymore? Or can, can I make, can I, can I boost this? Or can I boost that? Or you know, how do I get better results? And why am I not showing up? Well, that's what the manager tool is designed to do is empower everyone to answer these questions themselves. Not just like from a reporting standpoint, but we also are running the search and feed. And so we have the tools to be able to improve the results mm -hmm. or, or if we can't, we're able to explain why, like, well, people 
don't engage with your media because you have a bad product and people don't like it. And maybe you phrase it a little differently or the numbers just say that, but um, it helps narrow down some of the challenges of, oh, well, you need to improve your listing creative and do it quantifiably. So then when you do improve it, you see the result. And again, it's kind of like if you're running a, if you're running a marketplace or an e-commerce store, you're always telling people this, like, look, you, you got to do this, you got to do that and it'll be better. But it's another thing to actually show them mm-hmm. and then they see the result and then they see their improvements in search and see you improved ROI. So that's the next thing for us. And from a product perspective, RimWorld, I love <laughs> RimWorld. Yeah, nice. that's a game. Uh, how do you learn and unlearn things? Well, I, I try. I try not to ever look at it. It's unlearn. Uh, disassociate from everyone who is associated with X to unlearn. To learn, um, I get a paper notebook out and turn off my, put my phone in a drawer, and go someplace where I'm not near my computer and paper and pencil my way through whatever that thing is I'm trying to learn on in in some more isolated. I library was great if it if it wasn't COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you love and hate about being a CEO? I love the impact. I feel like this is the best way that I can help the company grow uh, being a CEO. One thing I hate is um, I started my career very technical and that's not my role anymore. And I don't hate it, um, but it is something that I have to recognize that that's not the value the company needs me to, to deliver. Mm-hmm. It's not like being the best at coding something or doing code reviews. It's r- running the company overall. So I think hate's too strong of a word, but it's something that you kind of had to like, it's like a, a, a favorite toy you have to put away on the shelf. And it's like, well, I've outgrown this, at least I've outgrown this at this company. And lastly, uh, one advice you would give to a 15 year old Andrew. Study for SATs and uh, try not try not to be so cynical about uh, about high school, get some sleep. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I think that's all for the podcast, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Awesome. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode with Andrew. Please like, share, and subscribe to Nails and Hammers on the platform of your choice.